save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Joining me again today is Dr. Lori Marker of the Cheetah Conservation Fund, which is in Namibia. And we recently had Lori on uh, the program discussing what cheetah conservation, CCF, is about and where they're located in Namibia and the other pro- uh, projects they work on internationally. So today we wanted to cover more about the illegal trade in cheetah and the exotic pet trade and what's going on because illegal wildlife trafficking is a huge issue these days. So um, I'll outline again the basic problem that cheetahs are facing is um, they're fighting extinction and they're facing habitat loss, fragmentation and degradation. Then there's human wildlife conflict, which maybe we can get touch on again a bit more today and then of course the illegal wildlife trade so Lori, welcome back you've been on a whirlwind tour of the united states for the past couple months and you're over on the east coast now so thank you for taking time to uh visit with us and do another podcast well great great to talk to you again and fill you in on where what's going on absolutely so um let's let's kind of jump in right Right off the bat, illegal wildlife trafficking is a huge issue these days. It is an international crime um, worth billions of dollars right up there with guns, drugs, and human trafficking. And yet it's still being mostly fought by conservationists in boots on the ground and rangers rather than being handed over to more appropriate law enforcement agencies. So my first question would be, how does that hinder your efforts in saving the extinction saving the cheetah from extinction and then of course what do you do and tell us about this trade in cheetah well the trade in cheetah is a pet trade so these are um, little cheetah cubs that are being caught someplace and we believe that it's in northern Kenya, southern Ethiopia, in the Somalia and Somali land, and they're being trafficked as young cubs over to the Middle East. And trafficking of wild animals is these days not talked as much about as we're all talking about issues around, you know, elephant ivory and rhino horn, but the illegal pet trade is huge with birds and and reptiles and snakes. I mean, it's just... It's very, very big, but the cheetah cubs, I think, nobody recognizes how important it is. We probably are seeing about 300 cubs a year going into this illegal trade, and with that, for every one that might make it into the illegal market in the Middle East, we probably lose about five or more. And the Cheetah Conservation Fund, our team, has been actively involved in trying to um, stop it, and there's many ways of going about this. A lot of it is trying to help educate the, the border patrols who uh, are are there at, at border posts and as people are going through the border posts, you know, maybe a little cheetah cub would be in a cage or maybe they're hiding it and they, they find it. 
but a cheetah cub doesn't look like anything necessarily more than a domestic cat or you know they don't know the difference between a cheetah cub and a maybe a caracal or a serval and and a domestic cat so a lot of the education is really with the border patrols and we worked closely this year uh, on world wildlife day which was in march where we worked with the Ethiopian government and the Somali uh, Somaliland governments to put up posters throughout all of the border areas that were supported by the actually the U.S. embassy in, in Ethiopia or the East African embassy working group that they made these posters and we were able to help educate many of the border patrol um, on what to look for. But now, now, let us say they find them, what do they do? And that becomes a big question. Now, just a couple months ago in August, we ended up with a confiscation of six cubs that were on the the border of, um, at the harbor in Somaliland on their way to get onto a boat to, um, to Yemen. And then from Yemen, what happens is the traffickers will take the cheetahs by car of some sort and bounce them around and through the back roads country and end up into selling them in different areas or countries in the Middle East. All of this, again, is illegal. So these cubs, these six cubs, um, were were found by the Border Patrol, the director of wildlife of Somaliland, who actually has been trained at the Cheetah Conservation Fund in Namibia, uh, was able to confiscate the cubs and actually these poachers were put in jail. It was the first time that a that poachers have actually been put in jail for confiscation or for poaching of cheetahs. Well, so that was a one big step. Congratulations on that. Let let me back up one second. Um, so the border patrols and in training them, you're. I have a hard time believing, but maybe not, uh, the more I think about, that they would not recognize a cheetah cub compared to another kind of cat. Really? Yes, they cannot identify them. And so we've um, worked together with other groups in putting up posters that show you know, what these different cats look like. Again, those are also up at border patrols. Um, and But continued education is so important. To be aware, I mean, how many people do you know out there, the people who are even listening to this, know the difference between what all these little cubs look like? And they are cubs that are stolen out of the den when they're usually maybe, you know, three weeks of age. And they their spots aren't all there. Their, their tear marks are, you know, kind of look, they could look like a mountain lion for that matter. Yeah, you do. I was just thinking that. You do have a point because looking at a mountain lion cub, sometimes you can't quite tell what it is. So... It's just astonishing. So I have a question. Are the poachers working on, you know, sort of a freelance in hopes to sell these animals or do they get orders placed? Somebody wants a cheetah cub and sends somebody out to go get them. Well, you know, I don't think we have that much information on this at this point. And those are the things that we're trying to find out. We find a lot of the um, the... This, the seller, I guess, there's a lot of animals being sold, not just cheetahs, but, you know, right. other, other animals, uh, primates even, uh, being sold on websites or on Instagram, Facebook, 
uh, the social media. And so we've been working hard with with bringing this to the recognition of the social media companies to keep their eyes out for this. And this is what went through CITES at the last standing committee meeting a couple months ago and then two years ago in 2017 to bring this forward. And that is one of the things that we're trying to do is to work with all of the social media companies to realize that there's illegal trafficking going on out there. I'm you're sure you're people- absolutely right. We just did an episode on that with um, retired special agent undercover U.S. Fish and Wildlife on illegal trafficking through the dark net. So it's astonishing how much is out there. And then even on eBay, any day you can go and look up for something and you'll find cheetah skin coats or cubs, live animals, animal parts. It's a huge issue, the amount of illegal trafficking that's going on the social media networks and how they use the payment gateways that we think are good, something like PayPal, to essentially launder this money. So it, it's a huge issue. So how... How did you approach it at CITES, and how are you working with the social media groups? Well, our responsibility, I think, is to be having collected the data. And so we're collecting it and then presenting it forward. And without having data, then CITES or anybody cannot do anything. But to be able to show where and how many are are being um, brought forward, you know, who they are, and that's where our team has worked really hard. Patricia Tricaracci, who is our um, Cheetah Conservation Fund staff member who's involved and responsible for all the illegal wildlife trafficking, is combing the Internet regularly to get this data to be able to present it. So that has become a very key part. A lot of it used to be hearsay. And... You know, somebody looked up something and saw something, but there was no actual data. And her job for the last few years has been combing through it and pulling this data up and actually alerting um, CITES and traffic uh, about this. But um, then again, you know, even on these bigger levels, it seems like there's not a lot of traffic action going on and yeah, that's there's, why again there's not a, lo- a lot of will and you know I, mm-hmm. i'm sorry to bring up ken mcleod again but this is what he'd said he'd spent years working with ebay and their staff you know creating um data profiles and filters to go through and find this stuff but it just doesn't seem to trickle down into the staff to really want to monitor this, and that surprises me. So that leads me to another question. It takes a lot of your time and your staff time, and you're a nonprofit, and you work off publicly garnered funds, and this is a law enforcement issue. So this brings it back to where we sort of began. How do we get CITES, traffic, and law enforcement, the border patrols, and the countries, the nations themselves, to take this on as a crime-fighting issue versus a wildlife conservation issue? Well, again, look at how many years it's taken to get people to be aware of the issues around elephant tusks and rhino horns, huge animals that there's been a huge amount of outcry about. And of the cheetah people, we're just a handful of people trying hard to make it um, get to that that realization we're dealing with you know maybe 300 animals plus a year 
that we know of, and we know there is more than that, out of a world population of less than 7,500 individuals. We're talking about... You think that would make this issue rise to the top? Right. Well, we're hoping that the cheetah, by us bringing this forward, is going to help highlight these problems where we are, again, seeing, you know, thousands of animals, birds, uh, parrots, and reptiles and snakes going through this, again, illegal trafficking. And so it is to try to find out how to get help and traction along this line. Now, as you know, I think some of the other major countries that have been involved in wildlife trafficking, combating it. Um, America has been very good at it, but but they're combating it here in America. And Africa is is not as developed, and they right. don't have the kind of resources to do this. And, that, and so we need partners, and we need the U.S. Um, Fish and Wildlife undercover people. We need um, we need people from the EU. You and 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 the Middle East actually to really step forward and start cracking this down. We believe that for the cheetah, if we can stop the demand over in um, in the Middle East, that could stop the supply chain. So trying to work together with these governments and the the very wealthy people who are paying exorbitant prices for these exotic wildlife species, who don't really know how to take care of them and it's more of a status symbol if we can get and engage them to help us on this and say we need some people to step forward to say having a pet cheetah is really not what we should we need to be helping save these cheetahs living in the wild and uh, we need help trying to find out who those people are to be the voices to help so do, do you find you get many informants either on the seller side or somebody who happened to see it or once they land in the the country where they're going to be distributed do you do you get many informants we do have a few informants in all areas which is very interesting and the informants over in the middle east then if they do find these animals we now have a problem because of the limited spacing of Right. That Where are we going to put these animals? That was going to be my next so, question. Okay. What What do you do? We've got a couple more minutes for this section. What do you do with an animal once it's been seized? Right. Well, in Somaliland, now we're building a sanctuary. So oh. we have 14 cheetahs there, 12 cheetahs there, excuse me, right now that we need, that we're housing in temporary, but better than when we first confiscated them, they were in office buildings. So we've been able to actually build temporary facilities, but we need funding for that. This is for us trying to help both the Somaliland government and the people who are on the ground there, our rehabbers. We probably need another fifty to $70,000 in the next year to help take care of those animals. My goodness. So listeners, um, if you want to make a gift for this upcoming holiday year and your year-end tax donation, you've just heard a great um, program to that needs some help. And this is to help stem the illegal trade in cheetah and the trafficking and exotic pets. So, uh, folks, listen, uh, 
tune into our previous episode with Lori. Check out cheetahconservation.org, their website. Go through some of their issues, understand what the problem is, and look at their international programs. For right now, Lori, you're going to stick with us, and so our listeners stick with us because we're going to step away for a break, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guest, Dr. Lori Marker of Cheetah Conservation Fund. We left off with understanding that there is a huge market of um, illegal trade in cheetah. Uh, We understand that these sellers are not selling just cheetah. They have a wide variety of commodities or products to sell that they're bringing across international borders. And Laura, you said you have 12 cheetah in Somalia right now at a rehabilitation center that you desperately need some funding to build up and get these cheetah into a place where they can be well taken care of. Now, will they be rehabilitated? Will they be able to go back into the wild or will they stay in sanctuary? 
Well, it's so difficult. These cubs have come in as tiny babies. With that, they've had to be bottle raised. Um, Some of them were in such bad shape, the amount of intense animal and handling care given to them by our our human vet staff. These animals are not wild animals. They 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 were, but they aren't anymore. They're not. They are, they you know, had to be taken care of by people. So they are not um, good candidates for rehabilitation. They do come from one of the um, small populations. So their gene pool is extremely important, which is why it's so horrible that they're taken out of the wild. So we'll have to manage these animals very carefully for for not only the future in captivity, but to figure out what to do with them you know, and find out if they can be an important part of an ongoing maintenance of their gene pool also through maybe even eventual captive breeding. But those are things that we aren't able to address yet. Right now, our big thing in Somaliland is to try to keep them in a safe environment, develop an environment where we can get proper food in and and have um, the proper care and train keeper staff to be able to know how to take care of them uh, and then try to stop not having more come in. But that's where, again, people could, you know, go to our website and learn. We, we need people who could maybe even help sponsor, take care of these cubs um, for the rest of their lives. And that's at cheetah.org. But they won't go back out into the wild. However, in Namibia, where we're based, um, we do have, have had great success in our rewilding program. And although over the years, most of our work is to try to keep cheetahs living in the wild, we in Namibia often get orphan cats. But we've found when you get a cat in that is about, you know, six months or eight months of age without its mother, it's, it's very wild. It's been hunting with its mother until that period of time, which means that they've got some instinct going on there. They know what it means to feed off of wild carcass, chase down prey and how to live in the wild because they were living with their mom. They live with their mother, though, until they're about two to two and a half years of age. So when we get them in at that young age, at six months or eight months of age, we need to keep them very wild. So in Namibia, we've got very off-exhibit huge areas, 50 acres, 20 acres, where they are way out in the bush where no people are around. We do come and feed them. um, Do they they end up associating People with the food, like let's say, and I'm not at all comparing you to canned hunting, please understand that. But <laughs> lion ranches in uh, South Africa, they the lions oh. become very habituated to identifying people with food. So in these areas where you're keeping the, these hopeful candidates for rewilding, a, a, a very distant uh, relationship to people with food, they know the truck and they know the people that are throwing the food, sure. Um, and, but they have a wild behavior. And the canned hunting that's going on in South Africa is horrible. Yeah, that's a whole other issue. It and, is just, and, yeah, it's yeah. just horrible because those animals are pretty habituated, very kind of used to people. And so, yeah, very is, habituated, very used to people, and basically bred for the bullet. Or bread right. for the the lion bone trade, so you had said before the major. Is, sorry, it's horrible. It, it well, is. It's it's horrid, and you know it's once again part of this illegal trade. Um, even though it's legal, it's a very sticky wicket because the end result does not benefit 
conservation of the wild species at all. So we'll leave it at that, that that's, that's the stand we're on and leave the, the canned lion hunting for other episodes or canned hunting. So, um, are you aware of any cheetah being taken from the wild in Africa and being sold to the U S we were talking about U S fish and wildlife and that our, our customs and our agents are pretty aware of what's going on in wildlife yes. and endangered species. Do they ever end up in the U.S.? Well, they shouldn't. If so, it's very illegal. There are captive facilities, captive breeding facilities in South Africa that have been very successful and have sent cheetahs through not only the United States, but Canada, Europe, Australia, Japan, China. Those are breeding facilities where the animals are captive-born and then have to come into, again, they're a CITES-regulated animal. They can only come into a facility that is also CITES-regulated. That's the legal part. I don't think here in North America that we're getting illegal cheetah cubs or in cheetahs in. Our Fish and Wildlife Department here is, you know, very, um, very, very up and up. Very and good, very yeah. smart. Yeah, they're great. Um, and, and fortunately, well, yeah, we've... The zoos here in the United States are, again, very um, active in trying to manage and take care of our captive population. And zoos are really important in, in conservation as well. And having backups in these collections are critical. Uh, now, I've been working, I came out of a wildlife park back in Oregon, the Wildlife Safari, back in the 70s, where I was one of the few people in the world who was able to breed cheetahs in captivity, and then moved to Namibia in the 90s after doing a lot of research in Namibia, because I thought, why are we, you know, trying to breed cheetahs when we can't, you know, we're killing them in the wild. Let's try to keep the wild animals wild. Right. However, what we know about the genetic makeup of the population, or of the cheetah, which the species does lack genetic diversity, going back to a ancient... Um, um, about 10 to 12,000 years ago where the cheetah escaped the Pleistocene. All of the cheetahs have a very small gene pool, very, very small. And so we do have to maximize that. And every time we lose a cheetah, we're losing the the dice throw of how its genes are put together. And they only have a few. And so we don't want to lose animals. And in our zoos here in the United States, they have something that's called a species survival plan. And they are managing the genetic makeup of the handful of cheetahs that are in captivity. Here in North America, there's about nearly 500 out of a world captive population of about 1,800, 1,800. And most of the 50% of all the breeding has come here in North America. And then the zoos are maximizing that in breeding centers to try to maintain that. So that's one of the things that zoos do for conservation to assist. It doesn't take, you know, what we need is to save them in the wild. And the relationship that the zoos have with our organization is great because they help fund a lot of our work. Um, so that we can keep wild cheetahs wild. And we do not bring uh, wild animals back into captive environments for breeding purposes here in North America. That is against the law. So that leads me to a question. Are any of the captive accredited captive breeding programs at zoos or other 
accredited sanctuaries and facilities here in North America in the breeding programs, is it possible that any of those cubs can be rewilded back into their Namibia, Botswana, where they, you know, their historical range? Well, that's very interesting. Well, that was back in the 70s when, you know, CITES came about and people weren't allowed to bring animals from the wild anymore. Our zoos started working together through breeding programs and managing and sharing animals back and forth. And back in the 70s, we, everyone thought, oh, we could breed the animals in captivity and you know, maximize their genetics and put them back out in the wild. And I always say, uh, you know, you can hear the the born free music playing about this time. (laughs) Um, But the wild is not like it once was. And in order for an animal to go back out in the wild, we have to save the wild. We need grasslands. We need wildlife. For a predator, they need prey, which is the wildlife that's there. And so looking at the long-term potential for Reestablishing populations, we have to start from the ground up. And I do believe that in my lifetime, I will see captive-born animals potentially going back and helping restock some of the areas where the cheetahs have gone extinct. And we have lost over 20 countries where the cheetah lived in in the last 50 years. So we're, we're real scary. Um, there are now 31 populations of cheetahs throughout 23 countries in Africa, with the last population in Asia being in Iran, where there's about 50 animals. Over 20 of those populations are under 100 individuals. So they are either going to breed to extinction by inbreeding um, and not being healthy anymore, or we're going to have to look at augmenting those populations. And so much of that work is looking at the potential of rewilding or looking at artificial reproductive strategies, maybe artificial insemination or embryo transfer. All that was going to be my next question. Our team has been working on, yes. Wow, that's exciting. So are you involved in, in that research as well? Oh, because well, that, you keep, yeah. because you, keep the, you have the whole cheetah genome project yes. going on. And I'm at the base of it all. So, I mean, I, I went to Namibia originally back in the 70s to find out if a captive-born cheetah could learn how to hunt and took one who was first generation from, from Namibia and taught her how to hunt. And that's what opened my eyes to realize that, oh, my God, farmers are killing cheetahs. We, you know, let's figure out how to save them in the wild. But at the same time, we do need this backup population. So, yes, looking at this full circle and looking at all the things that Cheetah Conservation Fund has done has been basically to try to lay out a long-term future. But you end up dealing with short-term problems, right. uh, which are not short-term, but right. you know, we've been at this for in Namibia for over 30 years and working collectively well, it's, it's, with our, our colleagues around all of Africa, yes. It's like three yeah. steps forward and two steps back. You, you have to right. deal with the crises management and, as we were discussing, the illegal trade taking, as you said, 300 cubs out of the population and most of those end up dead as well and then they end up as pets and they don't fare well so we're losing the little we have uh, while also trying to implement long-term strategies to rewild cubs born in captivity to get into these um, future type ideas 
to bring back populations. So you had mentioned that you're um, working it throughout Africa. I'm looking at your webpage, cheetah.org, and uh, you have ongoing collaborations in Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana, South Africa, Iran, as you mentioned, and North and West Africa. So uh, we talked about it a little on our last podcast, um, but could you give us a little bit more about the population in Iran? Well, the population in Iran is, I said, about 50 individuals, but it's found in five locations. And so if you divide 50 by five, we might only have, you know, four or five or ten animals per area. And so fragmentation in small populations leads to inbreeding more because they, if they do meet and they're breeding, they're breeding with their relatives. And the things that we find, which are um, the offshoot of um, inbreeding in small populations, is reproductive abnormalities. Right now, throughout all of the world, our cheetahs all have... 80% abnormal sperm. So you only got 20% that's any good. Um, and what we've seen, for instance, with a small pocketed population of the Florida panther, they ended up with 90% abnormal sperm or the fact that all the males were cryptorchid, which means they did not have descending testicles. And so you don't realize how it affects reproduction. And without having um, good sperm, you're not going to end up with any breeding going on. Um, so that's one of the genetic components of what we're watching is that we have to make sure that they remain healthy enough. So we're very, very concerned in Iran. The government has been very active. We have trained over 35 to 40 biologists in Namibia on on habitat, um, understanding wildlife prey populations, human-wildlife conflict. What happens in Iran is that... Um, a lot of the, the small stock farmers have moved into the game reserves because the game reserves are not and have not been protected for a number of years. They've moved in and taken over the water sources. And with this, then, uh, the wildlife can't get to the water because the livestock are all there. And then the cheetah comes in and can't find prey. So they have a hard time trying to... Um, catch the wildlife, which has now been pushed off into higher mountains. And then they can't catch the livestock because the livestock, interestingly enough, in Iran, are protected by livestock guarding dogs. And the dogs are so successful that the cheetah can't catch the livestock even. So one of the big things there is to try to actually get the water holes back, actually buy out these rural farmers and move them out. The government has to do this and then try to reestablish the wildlife populations so that the cheetah has some prey. In many of these areas, for instance, in Iran, in the north and west areas of Africa, the prey that the cheetah is supposed to eat is critically endangered as well, as endangered as the, the cheetahs are. So the cheetah really has nothing to eat. It might have a rabbit every now and again. That is not a large enough prey kill, eat, to eat, to be able to feed a growing number of cubs. And so a mother is not able to actually raise her cubs up because she's got nothing to eat. So those are the kind of circular problems that we end up with. Oh, my goodness. It's just, it's, it's heart-wrenching. So this really is a race against time. Um, 
in, in this particular case. We, we talk a lot about we're running out of time, but Earth can heal itself. But in this particular case, with this particular animal, the cheetah, um, it's got so many cards stacked against it to begin with because of the length of time that has passed to where we can address the problem now. Uh, it's critical. So, listeners, I would really like it if you would um, help and go visit cheetah.org and uh, make a gift. Help support Adopt a Cheetah. Help support the facilities throughout um all their project sites because as you can understand this charismatic animal we're, we're we're losing it we talk about elephants and we talk about rhino but cheetah is right up there and it's not getting quite the same play as the rest of the iconic species so stick with us Lori. we're going to be right back and we've got some more to talk about Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back, Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guest, Dr. Lori Marker. So that last section, Lori, thank you so much for that. It really highlighted how much we are racing extinction 
of the cheetah and that we're running out of time for this particular species. And that you had said there's how many cheetah across the world now? Wild. There's less than 7,500 cheetahs left in the world. And they're found in about 23 countries in Africa with the last Asian population Iran. And so there's 31 populations in 23 countries, of which 20 of those populations are under 100 individuals. So this is really critical. When we compare this, it's apples and oranges, yes, but two lion, rhino, and elephant, the cheetah rank up there as the number one about to be lost. So you go on tour, and you're usually gone for about six weeks, and you come to the U.S., and um, I don't know if you go to other countries as well, of course, to the working sites that you collaborate with. So what is it you talk about on the tour, and how do you get people galvanized, and what can people do um, besides adopt a cheetah, visit your website, can people um, request to have you speak at their group? And can they maybe offer a, a safari to come and visit you? Well, all of those would be great. And I travel around the country. We've got an active, wonderful group of cheetah friends and are trying to grow that everywhere. Now, the Cheetah Conservation Fund is a Namibian nonprofit organization. But we're also a United States nonprofit, 501c3, and we are a four-star charity, which is very important. And we've got partners in other countries, in the UK and in Canada and Australia and Germany and Italy. So I do travel to other countries as well um, to try to spread the word. What I do here in the United States is to give lots of talks. So I do a lot of talking at universities. I'm a adjunct professor at several universities, um, a, a, a special professor at Cornell, an A.D. White professor there. Uh, I've got a lot of interns that come over to Namibia, and so we're involved in a lot of different research projects with them. And so I'm spending my time helping them develop their programs and, and projects, uh, and then going to fundraising events. So many of the zoos put on fundraising events for me um, to introduce us to their people who love the cheetah and African wildlife, uh, and our, our board members and trustees around the country host me for lovely events that, again, try to bring people into learning about the awareness of problems facing the cheetah, but also how people can get involved and get involved with us on a lot of levels. We do need funding. That's our big thing. We've got over 120 employees in Namibia and are helping support programs in all these other countries as well. And so with that, I, I'm trying to help raise the money that will keep our program going to save the cheetah. So I would call it a scale up in what we're trying to do. I mean, our dog program is great. We will breed and place 50 dogs this year. However, you know, I, I want to maybe do 100. And if in order to do that, we have to really scale up. Um, we're trying to get more land uh, in Namibia. And with that, I'm asking for help um, to try to help us purchase this land that would connect to our, our reserve already that would be even a larger area for our wild populations of, of cheetah and wildlife. So sharing the work that we do, connecting people to the animal and our programs and our projects, 
and the extensive research that we've done and our team, I think, is really important. So although I'm traveling around, I'm trying to link everybody back to um, the people on the ground in Namibia that are actively working hard and our other team members throughout, you know, Somaliland and Kenya and Botswana to learn about these programs and how people can can get involved. I mean, I just think that everybody, I mean, this goes back, I think, when I first moved to Namibia. And after, you know, 15 years in and out of Africa, I moved to Namibia in 1990. When Namibia became independent and I sold everything that I had to get enough money to get a Land Rover to go door to door to talk to farmers about why they were killing cheetahs. And I didn't know I was going to be the one, the person over there trying to help save the cheetah. I thought if I told enough people about it, people would be engaged. Somebody would go do it. So people think that other people will do things, which fine is great, but we want people to take action and become involved. And I know everybody's not going to, you know, sell everything they have and go out and save the cheetah. However, they could be a part of this with me through spreading the word, you know, helping me and my team get to meet people that might want to help support the work that we're doing. Help us with a fundraiser, but get involved, maybe not even just with cheetahs, but with something that matters to them in conservation and our environment. And this is what I've said so many times. People say we need more people like you, meaning me or you. And my response to that is there are a lot of people like me and like you, Lori. What we need are people like them um, out there who care and want to turn that passion into action. And talking with you, Lori, and our listeners, what I hope you're... um, getting from these conversations is that the work is real. Anything you give to CCF, any funding you support, um, a, a sharing circle that you can bring more friends into, invite Lori to come and speak to your group, your school, um, your local zoo, or um, other nonprofits that you work with that are about wildlife. The money goes back to real live cheetah. It goes to saving them from the illegal pet trade. It goes to creating a sanctuary in Somalia. It goes to keeping um, five fragmented populations in Iran alive. It goes into the Genome Project to make sure there is viable sperm for cheetah to continue to procreate. And it goes into a, a lot of research in the background, as you've just heard us talk about, how much it takes to keep this one dwindling species alive. So your dollar will connect and make a huge effect on the ground to a cheetah. So adopt a cheetah give support this is the time of year where people want to do things and it's very common now it's much better Um, it's growing a lot that people are giving fundraisers for their birthday and asking people to give cheetah conservation fund is a worthwhile um, amazing incredible organization so if you got the wherewithal please give and um, please check out their website and contact Lori. Learn more and um, let's see what we can do to keep the spots alive. 
Um, Lori, come so, over and visit us in Namibia. Yeah, bring some friends Which, over. Come and vi- go and visit. I'm planning on uh, visiting on my next trip. I'm not sure when that will be. Hopefully, in early 2019. Otherwise, you and I will catch up in uh, spring of 2019 when you're back here. So, um, right. uh, back to the illegal trade. When we've got some time here, um, I'm kind of surprised that cheetah don't end up in Asia. So I had asked you this during our little break, and you said they're going into Asia from captive breeding programs in other African countries. So it's still happening. Can you just well, is, explain that going, a little more? Okay. They're, what we know is that we've got a few very successful breeding programs in South Africa. And many of the cats from those breeding programs are ending up at zoos in or safari parks in China. We don't know a lot about what happens to them after that because they're they're not as good at reporting as as our accredited zoos are, for instance, here, who do report back. And as the international stud bookkeeper, I keep track of where all these animals go and and what their you know bloodlines are and everything like that. So we don't necessarily know what's going on in China. However, they are there are zoos and safari parks over there, and that's where many of them are going. I have not heard beyond that that they're going into anything other than that at this point. Okay, so this brings another question. How well do cheetah do in captivity when they do not have a habitat where they can run? They don't have a very long, healthy life. And that's been a big problem. And why we know when the animals have gone, for instance, into the pet trade, the people who have them don't know how to take care of them. So oftentimes they're put into very small pens, they're like a chicken coop, and they're not given the exercise that they need. And how do you exercise a cheetah that's supposed to go 70 miles an hour? And we've developed how to do that, but most often, if people have them and don't know how to care for them properly, they do not live a very long life. Cheetahs have stress-related problems, and again, the running is something that's extremely important for them to help relieve some of those stressors. Um, and we know too much about all the different diseases. They get malnutrition and end up with metabolic bone disease, which without having the right amount of calcium and, and vitamins and minerals, they they get calcium these calcium deficiencies and leave them totally lame or with hairline fractures or broken bones. They so are, those they are, are the big obli- issues. They are obligate carnivores feeding a captive cheetah chicken and without bones and without all these other nutritious bits that they would uh. get from their prey does not uh, lend to the health of these animals. I hear so often, oh, we feed them chickens. Well, th- that's not a cheetah's normal prey. No. And then what happens too is the animals go get sick it doesn't develop good even sperm quality so the animals will never be able to breed so it's just a cyclical downhill problem cheetahs are not an animal that should be a pet they should be either in a you know out in the wild number one or in a appropriate recognized zoological institution where they're cared for properly but there's just so much that you know people don't understand about taking care of a wild animal 
And it seems to be a growing thing, having exotics for pets. So, listeners, if you learned nothing else today, exotics do not make good pets. Whether it's a monkey, a bat, a squirrel, a cheetah, a lion, and all the other wildlife, they do not make for good pets. We cannot meet their needs unless, as Lori said, they're in a qualified institution, in a qualified sanctuary where they are closely involved in their wild natural habitat or... um. Gosh, I can't even think of another place that it, no. there isn't another place. So that's it. So, Lori, this brings a, a question to my mind that the cheetah in protected areas, those areas are already not large enough for them. And now we add in the issue of tourism and following cheetah. What is the etiquette here? Well, Cheetahs are a highlight for visitors in Africa. And this does create a problem because in some of the reserves, we have seen an average of 20 cars surrounding a cheetah. Uh, And with that, we've seen problems with them stopping their hunts, separating mothers with cubs. And people don't realize that lions and hyenas are really smart. They look for these groupings of cars and go, oh, I bet something's there. Maybe I'll go check it out. And they know that if there's a cheetah, the cheetah might have a kill. And that also encourages those larger carnivores to come and steal the kill from the cheetah. So we've actually found in areas like Kenya and Tanzania that the cheetah's hunting has changed. And instead of being a dawn and dusk hunter, they're hunting oftentimes in the middle of the days when the game Um, when the tourism vehicles are not around. So that's, again, a change, and that's what's the heat of the day, the middle of the day. So imagine going, you know, 70 miles an hour when it's 100 degrees. They can't hunt as effectively either. So those are some of the issues. Another issue we've seen um, that we are quite concerned about is um, tourism vehicles allowing the cheetahs to come and jump in their cars. And that is just not really appropriate. And it might be cute, and we also see that a lot of people are tipping their drivers more to drive off road, to maybe circle around a cheetah or have it jump on their cars. And again, that's not the private, that's not the way, um, the etiquette that that ecotourism should be. So we're trying to let people to to know and be more aware of that. And I actually talk about that in the two books that we've recently published, one is A Future for Cheetahs with beautiful photography by Susie Estahouse. And then another one is The Cheetahs, Their Biology and Conservation, which is a Elsevier textbook that we just published earlier this year. And both of those talk about the issues around um, a good way of being a visitor, a tourist, um, on safari. And then the problems when we see people not understanding the proper etiquette. That's become a big issue these days. So um, thank you for answering that. So, uh, Lori, this has been an absolutely fabulous, fabulous conversation. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, What would you like to let our listeners know? Maybe we can talk a little bit about maybe, what about International Cheetah Day? Yeah. That's coming up. When is that? It's the 4th of December. All right. There's a good reason to give. 
And this is really exciting. And this International Cheetah Day, well, I got to select the day internationally, and I'm just so honored. And I gave the date over to a cheetah that had taught me so much, a cheetah named Kayam, and she was the one that first took me to Namibia. And she had been born in captivity, and my job was to find out if she could go over and learn how to hunt. And this was back in the middle 1970s. And I, what I found out there when I ended up in Namibia with a cheetah that had been captive-born, my job was to teach her how to hunt. But what I found was farmers were killing cheetahs. And so that's when I said, well, we've got to stop this and find out why people are killing them, which led into the development of the Cheetah Conservation Fund and the development of the world, realizing that the cheetah needed help. So I honored Kayam by making the International Cheetah Day on the 4th of December, her birthday. Oh, that's so wonderful. I always say, that's yeah, wonderful. she gave me a vision and sent me on a path, and that's what I've been doing for the rest of my life. That's wonderful. Save it, cheetahs. It, it leads me to a question. So how do you train a cheetah to hunt? Well, which now we've really kind of perfected over our life. You don't take a hand-raised tame cheetah. It can learn how to hunt. She became a very good little huntress and learning how to kill, but she would still rather come and hang out with me or with people, which is the danger to them, an animal like that, because of livestock and where people are. And so we know that um, learning how to hunt really revolves around health and their body. Their body is um, a precision machine, and we keep all of our captive cheetahs are orphan animals in excellent physical condition so they all run either after a mechanical lure or they run in our large enclosures behind the feed truck so they're constantly every day running and are very very um, in in very good physical condition the next part is to keep them in in good mental condition they're out in the middle of the bush and they can see the different animals that are coming and going and then the next stage is when they go out into the wild for them to explore so you do have to supplementally feed the cats until they give trial and error they have to actually try chasing after an antelope and figure out well how did it run how did faster to go it's different than chasing after a food truck that kind of goes the same way all the time right the, the experiential the, cognitive learning yes very very much so and then female cheetahs we find learn how to hunt fairly rapidly but we, again, want them to be wild. The one thing we didn't talk about on this episode necessarily was the fact that about 80% of all the remaining 70, less than 7,500 cheetahs are found outside of protected areas. They are on livestock farming land with rural communities, with their livestock. And that is why we spend so much of our time talking about working with the livestock farmers, is that the majority of the cheetahs are not in protected areas. The protected areas are not large enough. Um, a cheetah's home range is 800 square miles. They live in a very low density, you know, 2 to 12 cheetahs per 500 square miles. So a game reserve is not big enough. There's only about 10 throughout all of Africa that are large enough to maybe maintain a viable population. And they're not in all of those. But with that, the majority of them are outside. They're pushed out by large lions and hyenas and leopards, which are protected in these game farms or game 
reserves. And with that, their populations grow, and then the cheetah gets pushed out. They will steal the cheetah's food, kill their young, push them out, and that's why we've got this conflict with livestock farmers and why we need to make sure that there's a prey base and to make sure that we're training people in good livestock management as well. But so those are kind of all the different aspects. So when you're trying to look at a cheetah for rewilding, you do not want a tame pet cheetah. It has to have some habituation to you just to be able to supplementally feed them. But once they start hunting on their own, if we've done it right and we've done this now for years is they will start hunting and they don't look back and they don't ever want to see you again necessarily that's this is great so folks once again we've highlighted just how important um protecting and saving the cheetah from extinction is and cheetah conservation fund is the benchmark of how to do this there are other cheetah orgs out there that follow the same model um the point is to give and to put your passion into action. And unfortunately, now we are out of time. But, Lori, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thanks. Go to our website, cheetah.org. Love you guys. Love you, too. You take care. Travel safely. Thank you. Can't wait to see you in Namibia. Same, same here. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 